It's good to see all your lovely faces. The new ones, the old ones. So, uh, there's, there's a significant difference between Jerron and myself. I don't know if you noticed what it is. It's like, I have notes. So. Alright, let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. Ah, oh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with us. I just ask that you would give us receptive hearts for your word. Give us eyes to see things, ears to hear things that we've not seen or heard before as your word is revealed to us. Do what you want with it. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk about Moses, Israel, and a covenant God. And the text is going to be Exodus 19, chapter 19 through chapter 24. Uh, We won't read all of that, so that's okay. Uh, But we'll do a quick recap of how we got to chapter 19. So a quick recap of Exodus, because we've been there for a little while now. So Israel increases. There's a new Pharaoh that doesn't know the Joseph story. And then Israel is oppressed with hard labor. Moses is born. He flees to Miriam after killing an Egyptian. He does a good deed and gets a wife out of the deal. Uh, he was shepherding and God appears and speaks to him and tells him to go back to Egypt and uh, bring Israel out. Moses is given powerful signs. Uh, he meets up with his brother Aaron and some of the elders of Israel. And then Moses and Aaron speak with Pharaoh. Pharaoh cuts back the straw requires the same output of bricks. And then you've got this back and forth talking between Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron. And then there's plagues, talking, plagues, talking. And then towards the end of that, God gives direction for Passover. There's specific directions that he's giving his people that he hasn't really done this before, given like these type of specifics. What he's doing is he's separating a people for himself. He gives two national holidays, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right off the bat. Then we have Israel leaving in haste. Pharaoh pursues. Israel passes through the Red Sea. The Egyptians are swallowed by the sea. Then you've got this celebration with singing and praise and tambourines and dancing. Three days later, no water. God provides and tests them as he reveals himself as the healer. Then in the second month, they were hungry and they begin to complain. God provides bread as a test to see if the people will walk in his law or not. This was Jerron's talk from last week. Um, Then there's water from a rock and God reveals himself as a banner of victory. Then Moses' father-in-law gives him some good advice. Now we end up in chapter 19 with God's intentions towards Israel. So let's read chapter 19 together. So on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, And tell the people of Israel, 
You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. Then he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. I don't think he really meant like don't go near them. But uh, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So this is chapter 19. So we're seeing that God has intentions and that God tests. So God's intentions are is that there's going to be a kingdom of priests, right? He tells them, like, if you will obey my voice, If you'll keep my covenant, you'll be a treasured possession among all peoples in all the earth. Like there's not going to be anybody else like you. You'll be a holy nation. Not just some priests, a kingdom of priests. This was the original intent. The elders were in agreement with what God had said. So then in chapter 20, we see that God comes down on the mountain in a smoky cloud of fire He calls Moses and speaks to him. He gives him the Ten Commandments. 
So this is chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So the people responded in fear and they backed away from God and they wanted Moses to be a mediator for them. They don't want to talk to God for themselves. Moses, you draw near, you talk to God for us, you tell him what he says, like, we don't want any part of that. So this is at least the third time in Exodus that we see that God is testing people. You know, when you find yourself in a challenging situation, it could very well be that God is testing you to see if you'll walk in his ways or not. Because God is the same. He doesn't change. He tests people in the Old Testament. He tests people in the New Testament. There's a story in John chapter 6 where Jesus is with Philip and he's looking at the multitude and they're trying to figure out how they're going to feed these people. And Jesus looks over to Philip and says... How are we going to feed all these people? And it says that Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but he was testing Philip to see what he would say. So God's the same. He doesn't tempt us, but he tests us. A good teacher tests their students to determine their competence in an area. Right? God already knows our competence. God tests us to determine our level of faith. It allows us to see what we're really made of. He doesn't test us to fail us. I get to determine, am am, am I where I think I am? He allowed Israel to see their own hearts if they were willing to look. So years ago, I felt like God had called me to go to Bible school. And I was working a full time job at that time. I had a car payment, insurance, like, I needed income to be able to pay my bills. And I felt like I need to go to Bible school. So I quit my job. I was about 24 at this time. Quit my job. And shortly after, one of my friends said, hey, are you going to go to Bible school? And I was like, yeah. So she said, hey, my mom wants to give you some money. Come over to our house. So I went over to their house. And her mom gave me a check for $1,500 to pay for like the first month of Bible school and to like get me in, get me in student housing. So that first couple weeks I'm there and I'm just like, I don't know where the rest of the money is going to come from. Like I just quit my job. I've got bills that I need to be paying and I had a choice to make. What I wanted to do was just put it on my credit card because that would have been the easy way to handle the situation. And I felt like God had set before me, it's like, are you going to believe that I'll provide for you? Are you going to go with your own intention on this and take care of yourself? And it was so hard. Like, I can still picture myself walking around student housing parking lot, praying and just like crying because it was so difficult. And God provided. Like, by following him and taking him at his word, like, he took care of me. And he always takes care of us. Um, Israel missed out on God's intentions by setting their own. 
This becomes a pattern with Israel. They want a king. They don't want to give the land rest. Right? They ignore the poor, the fatherless, the weak among them. And they miss out on God's generous provision through his promises. Right? God's the same. Are you being tested? What's your response? Have you missed God's good intentions toward you by setting or having your own? I totally could have missed God's intentions and seen like him provide in this amazing way that has set me up now, like in my faith journey, that like if I need to believe for financial stuff, it's not even a problem. Like I don't second guess God on any of that stuff. I'm just like, oh, I lost my job. I don't know how we're going to get food next week. Eh, God will take care of us. It'll be fine. It's always fine. I mean, I, I tell my wife, the worst thing that can happen is that we die and then we're with Jesus. So it's like, you know, like how bad could it really be? I like this verse. It's Psalm 103.7. It says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. See, Moses knew God's manner, his way of doing things, his course of life, his custom. There was a depth to knowing the character of God because he drew near. Israel missed out on all that. Like God's intentions were that they would know him that way. But they were content with only knowing his deeds. They didn't really want to get in the kitchen to learn how to get dirty and make the whole recipe. They just wanted to partake of the meal. But Moses was in it for the whole course. They had an opportunity to draw close, to know more, to be known, not just know. God has expectations for his people. I feel like these passages show the need for leaders and others for accountability, for insight, for input, and to walk with others. We don't always have what we need for practical purposes, and we need God and others for best practice. Like Moses is walking with God in a way that few people, if anyone, ever did. And yet, like, he still needs his father-in-law Jethro to say, hey, what you're doing, that's not good. Like, you should try this. The elders were on board to draw close to God, but the people weren't, right? The people needed the elders saying, hey, best practice, let's do this. The elders needed the leadership of Moses as well, right? We need to be open to instruction, to correction. We learn, we grow together. Like we're not, we're not an island, but we're living stones being built up together for a habitation for God. That's who we are. So then chapters 21 through 23 There were laws given to the people regarding slaves, social justice, restitution, um, national holidays. So we won't spend time reading those three chapters. So this is what they're about. You can take my word for it. Love and honor God. Love and honor each other. Do right and don't cheat one another. Don't lie. You can't do bad and get away with it. There are consequences. Be a just people. Do good to the foreigner. Keep the Sabbath and the festivals. And then God promises the conquest of Canaan. So what were the initial covenant laws they were agreeing to? 
They're about how you treat one another with equity, with respect, with justice, as well as putting God first. Like these are the basics of what God wants his people to look like. Is your character consistent with who God says you should be? Do you treat others with honor? Not talk behind their back? Are you honest? Have you put off the old person and put on the new one created in Christ Jesus? So let's settle into chapter 24. Let's read chapter 24 together. This is where we'll spend our time now. So then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. It seems like the Lord's already been contented with Israel's decision to say, we don't want to come close. So he says, don't come close. So he doesn't force himself on us, but he lovingly draws us to himself, but he respects like our own decisions, even though it may not be best practice. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the other shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they were contented with that as well. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars. According to the twelve tribes of Israel, And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw it against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. So there's, there's a need here for leadership to see God, to behold God and to see him clearly. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Right? We have to behold God. We have to eat and drink. And he's our meal. Like he's our sustenance. He's the one that that gives us that which we need so that we have something for the multitude. The Lord said to Moses, "Come Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire 
on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So God is a covenant God. From Genesis to Revelation, with Adam and Abraham and Moses, David, Jesus, and so on. What's going on here? It's like Moses told the people the words of God and the people agree. There's a, there's a burnt offering. There's peace offerings. There's blood thrown against the altar. The people hear the words of the covenant. Then Moses throws blood on the people. Then Moses and some others like go up and eat a meal with God. Like all this is covenant. They're covenant details, covenant talk. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant. The New Testament, the New Covenant through Jesus. Today, we know contract, contract talk. But the nations at this time practiced covenant. It wasn't something that was unique to the Hebrews. So when I was in Bible school, I had a class on covenant. And one of the required readings was a book called The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread by Richard Booker. And it was God's provision for man through blood covenant. And I've been wanting to reread this book. And when Jerron asked, like, hey, like, here's some, some passages. What looks good to you? I was like, ooh, I want that one on covenant because I, like, I want to like read that book again. So like I dove in and like read a little bit of it and refreshed my memory. I'm like, oh, covenant's so good. So I want to like tell you about covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. Like the Greek word actually means to cut. And by definition, to cut a covenant is by shedding of blood and you actually walk between the pieces of flesh. So it's it's the closest agreement, the most enduring, the most solemn, the most sacred of all contracts. It absolutely cannot be broken. When you enter into a blood covenant with someone, you promise to give them your life, your love, your protection, till death do you part. So if you were a Hebrew male during this time, you went through nine specific steps to enter into a covenant with another, with another Hebrew. So I want to walk through those together. So the first one is I would take off my coat or my robe and I would give it to you. And by this, I'm saying, I'm giving you all of myself. My total being, I pledge to you. Jesus did this for us. He gives us his robe of righteousness. He takes our filthy rags on himself in that exchange. The second thing is I take off my belt. Not because it holds up my pants, but because it holds my weapons. It holds my armor together. Symbolically, I'm giving you my strength. I'm pledging my support and my protection. If they attack you, they attack me. Your battles are now my battles. I will fight for you. I will defend you and I will protect you. And we find that God is our refuge, our fortress, our redeemer. It's his armor that we wear. It's tested, it's tried, it's true. He's our help in the time of need. He's our deliverer. Three, we cut the covenant. 
they take an animal and they split it down the middle. And we lay each half to the side of us and we stand between the bloody halves back to back. Then we walk through the bloody halves and come back facing each other, doing a figure eight. What we're saying is we die to ourselves, our rights, as we begin a new walk with our covenant partner to death. Second, since the animal is split in two, we say, God, do so to me if I ever try to break this covenant. Just split me right down the middle and feed me to vultures. Do you see how serious this was? Paul in the New Testament says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's covenant talk. Baptism is a picture of dying to the old life and being raised new. Fourth, we raise our right arm and mix blood. We raise our right arms and we cut our palms and we bring them together. Our blood intermingles and we swear allegiance to each other. As our blood intermingles, we believe our lives intermingle and become one. Right? We have this stuff in our culture still. Right? Kids like spit on their hands and like shake hands, right? We've got like blood brothers and blood sisters and things like that. Like th- this is covenant is what we're talking about. We just don't know all the finer details. We're putting off that old nature and we put on the new nature of our blood covenant partner to become one. Fifth, we exchange names. I take your last name as part of mine and vice versa. Right? We do that with Jesus. We're little Christs. Right? We're known as Christians. I am in his body and he is the head. I am his. Right? He is my identity. Sixth, we make a scar. So we rub our blood together and make a permanent scar as a testimony to the covenant. The scar bears witness. It reminds us of our covenant responsibilities, but it also shows others that we're not alone. You want to fight with me? You fight with all the covenant people that I have. You can see those scars. You mess with me, you mess with everyone that I'm in covenant with. Right? Under the new covenant, it's not physical, but it's our hearts that have been circumcised. Seven, we give the covenant terms. We say, all my assets, they're yours. All my money, all my property, all my possessions. If you need any of them, you don't even have to ask. Just come get them. Right? If I'm in trouble, I don't even ask. I just come get your checkbook. And I take care of what I need to take care of because we're in covenant together. Right? Paul said something like, I present my body as a living sacrifice. There was a time where I was in a desperate situation in a relationship and I was in a hard place. And my prayer to God was, this is your problem. Like, I'm your kid. Show me what to do. Like, I'm appealing to him by covenant because it's his problem. I'm in a tough spot right now with work, and I've got the same prayer. You're going to have to do something here, because if not, none of this is going to work out. Like, this is your thing. You want this to succeed? You do something. Like, I have no control, no hope, 
that I can do it on my own. Covenant God, do something. So eight, we eat a memorial meal. So in place of the animal and blood, we have bread and grapes, right? Wine is called the blood of grapes, and it represents our own life blood. The bread represents our flesh. We take the loaf, we break it in two, and we feed it to each other. We do the same with the wine. I'm in you, and you're in me. We are now one together with a new nature. Does this sound familiar? The communion meal, the remembrance, the proclaiming of Jesus' death until he comes, right? And then we'll eat the meal with him in heaven. Lastly, nine, we plant a memorial. So we want to always remember it. So we plant a tree and we sprinkle it with the blood of an animal. The blood-sprinkled tree and our scar are constant reminders of the covenant. So now we're known as friends. Friends weren't loosely used words like they are today, but it meant something. It was for covenant relationships only. This memorial, this blood-sprinkled tree, is a picture of the cross. That tree that's been sprinkled with blood from Jesus, which is far greater than any animal. Our children are included until they reach an age of understanding and they can choose to stay or reject the covenant. Marriage is a covenant, right? Feeding the cake says, I'm coming into you and you're coming into me, right? The blood covenant is consummated in the physical aspect when man and woman are united. We put a ring on the third finger because it's believed to have a nerve leading to the heart. So this is what's going on in chapter 24 with the terms given, accepted, the blood, the sacrifice, and so much more. So I hope this sheds light on this chapter in Exodus, but also so many other stories in the Bible because God is a covenant God. We've got the old covenant. We have the new covenant. It's all covenant talk. There's a story in Genesis 15 of Abraham And God talking. And then God asks him for a sacrifice. Abraham cuts an animal in half. And then there's this picture of this flaming torch passing through the pieces while Abraham sleeps. That's God himself making covenant with himself. Because there is nobody that can hold up the other side of the covenant relationship like God. Right? Israel has proved they're incapable of holding up their side of the covenant. So as we, as we wrap up, just thinking about how God never changes, how he tests his people, how he has expectations for them, for us, and then putting a covenant lens in our glasses through which we can consider God's word. Let's consider Some next steps. So one, are you responding to tests by drawing near to God or going your own way? 
Are you responding like Israel? Are you responding like Moses? Two, is your character consistent with who God says you should be? Or do you need to make a change? Is your character consistent with all people? Do you say one thing and do another? Are you fair? Kind? Loving? Three, have you entered into a covenant relationship with Jesus? If not, should you? Have you received the heart of flesh in place of that heart of stone that the Bible talks about? Have you been baptized as an act of obedience demonstrating your death, that covenant death? Four, have you embraced the fullness of your covenant benefits in Christ? Right? I'm your kid. This is your problem. My enemies, my provision, all of himself. And then last, do you see areas you need to more fully submit to God now that you understand covenant? Giving your full self to him, all of your provision, all of your strength, all of your identity. Those aren't yours if you're in covenant with him. Those belong to him now. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are a covenant God. I thank you for the insight that you give us that helps us understand what you've done for us, what you've done towards us, and the way that we can reap those benefits in you. I thank you that you take care of anything and you never miss a beat. That there is abundant provision in your son Jesus. And we can come on your terms and not on our own. There's nothing that we can do to better ourselves or prepare ourselves to come to you. But we simply come as we are and you receive us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.